Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Now, I can just keep going with that, man. That was cool. I like that. How are we doing today? So good to see you. I'm glad you're fired up because I'm fired up too. So I want to tell you before we go any further, you know, you got this lovely um, packet of information when you walked in and we, we, you know, we try to keep, we try to limit it, but then it just keeps growing because there's just a lot of things going on. But the one thing I want to make sure you see is this is a connection group homework. So if you're in a connection group and most of them are going through what we're talking about here at our weekend services. So you're going to want to take this and, and this, all the things that we'll be talking about in our connection groups are right here on this card. So you can see as we're going through and the questions will correspond to what we're talking about today. So I just wanted to draw your attention to that. And other than that, I don't need that anymore. So we're starting a new series today called It Is For Freedom. And we're going to spend the next six weeks in the book of Galatians in the New Testament. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's towards the back. And um, it's a little book. And it's got six chapters. And we're going to go a chapter a week. Now, one of the things they teach you in business school, or if you're like, you know, going to be an entrepreneur and launch a product or something, is they teach you to have what's called an elevator speech. Do you know what I'm talking about? An elevator speech is something that is so short that if someone asks you, what are you selling? What is it that you do? What, what is your idea that you have? That in the time it takes for you to go from the ground floor to whatever floor you're going to on the elevator, you would be able to get it out before the little ding happens and the person leaves. So you could do it without you know, resorting to talking about extraneous information or things that don't matter or beating around the bush, but you could get right to the point and say, this is why you should hire me to be your real estate agent. This is why you should hire me to be your plumber, or this is why you should, um, you know, invest in my home business or whatever the case is, that it could be succinct and clear enough and compelling enough to generate interest in the part of the other person. So with that in mind, if you and I got on the elevator, and we have to remember that elevator speeches in Phoenix are a little more difficult because the buildings aren't that tall. And so you only have like three or four floors at most, unless you go downtown. There's only like a dozen buildings downtown that go higher than that. So you don't have very much time. So if I were to ask you, and we got on the elevator, if I was just some random dude, and I said, hey, listen, I think all religions are basically the same. Why is Christianity different? Why should I choose Christianity over any other faith on the planet? If I were to ask you that, could you succinctly and effectively answer that question in a way that might generate even more interest from me. The reason why I think that's important is because most of us don't really know all that clearly like the basic fundamental tenets or ideas that set our faith apart. So if you were to if I if I were to ask you that question, one compelling answer might be this. If you were to say why is Christianity 
so different, I might res- or you might respond this way. Because religion minus grace equals captivity. It's not bad, right? Why should, why should I look at Christianity instead of all the other faiths? What sets apart Christianity is different from everything else. Because religion minus grace equals captivity. And the implication is, is that every other religion that does not have as central to its message, like the very foundational thing, more than just, well, you know, you're supposed to go to church and like not do bad stuff and, and you know, remember these holidays or whatever and read your Bible. If you start going that road, if the, the elevator is going to go ding and it's going to be too late. But if you were to say something like, listen, the reason I'm a Christian and the reason I believe that Christianity is unique and it is quite frankly, superior in terms of its, its um, ability to meet the needs of the human condition is because religion minus grace equals captivity. Every other religion, basically, when you boil down to it, it is, holds you captive and imprisons you. And so this entire book of Galatians, the reason I bring this up is because the entire book of Galatians is basically driving home the theme that religion minus grace equals captivity. And so if you're a person today who's honestly walking in here going, you know, aren't all religions basically the same? Then you've come to the right place if you believe that. If you're someone who's a little fuzzy on exactly the core compelling message of Christianity, then you've come to the right place. And if you're a person who maybe walks around feeling guilty all the time, because you're never doing enough. And you're always feeling like God's up there going, you know, hey, dude, what's wrong with you? And what's, what's your problem? And, and you know, you got to get better. And you're not, you know, always afraid, like, like am I actually going to go to heaven? And, and if that's you, you've come to the right place. Because that's what this entire book deals with. And so it was a letter written to several churches in the area of Galatia who had started out believing this very fact, that religion minus grace equals captivity. And so they were blown away by the idea that that God would send himself as a human being to stand in their place and pay for their sin. They were blown away because it was something they feel like they did not deserve. I don't deserve to, to, I look at my life and I realize there's something deeply wrong with me and I realize that I owe something to God or the universe or my fellow man or whatever. I owe because of my greed and my pride and my selfishness and my lust and my anger and all these kinds of things. I, I, I have some deep-seated problems that go all the way back to the very beginning and there was a real sense of this that these early Christians had. And what blew them away was the reason they came to faith in Christ in the first place was they heard a message that said, listen, God knows that, but he loves you anyway. And that, that price for sin was not, doesn't need to be paid by you. It was already paid by Jesus. And it revolutionized people in a way that they had never been revolutionized before. And so it allowed them to walk free. It's important to say that these weren't people who had fooled themselves into thinking that they were basically good. You know, they just made a few mistakes along the way. No, they recognized they had deep problems. Perhaps the great theologian Bono said it best. He said this, I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep doo-doo 
It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross. Catch this. Because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. That's pretty good. Now, I don't agree with everything that comes out of the great theologian Bono's mouth, necessarily. But he got that one right. And he got, he got that right, big time. So when, because he recognized that I see there's something deeply wrong with me. And I hope I don't have to pay for it myself, because if I do, I'm in big trouble. And so grace is getting what you do not deserve. And so this is the problem, though. The problem is, in this church, there were people who were beginning to come in who had the old saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And so they're like, look, it's great that you're coming in here and believing in God, but come on, he doesn't pay for all of our sins and you don't have to do anything. I mean, it can't be that easy, right? You have to pull your own weight at some point. And so these people that were coming in were what you might call Jewish believers or Jews who had been very much enamored by the idea of the Messiah being Jesus, but they couldn't get over this idea that there were rules and regulations that still needed to be followed in order to earn God's favor. And so these people were called actually Judaizers. That was their name. It was a group of people called Judaizers who were coming into the church and basically talking to Gentile Christians. So Gentile Christians would be non-Jewish Christians, basically people mostly like us. Unless you're of Jewish background, and most of us in here probably are not, that would be us. And so these, you have all these non-Jewish people, Gentiles, coming into the church, and the Jewish churchgoers, the Judaizers are looking at, you know, hey, Bill, you know, it's great that you're believing in God. It's great that you believe that Jesus is the true Messiah. But if you're really going to be in the club, you got to do something called circumcision. And he's like, what are you talking about? Well, basically, Bill, that means that you got an extra piece of skin you got to get rid of. I got an extra piece of skin. Where? where? Right there, brother, where the sun don't shine, right? What? What are you talking about? Yeah, listen, it's no big deal. Here's a Swiss Army knife. Here's some hydrogen peroxide. You're going to need about a week off of work, okay? but you're going to have to get this done. Now, this is not a happy thing, right? Especially as an adult. When you're a little baby, you don't know what's going on. It's like, you know, next thing you know, like, oh, I didn't know this was in my past, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're an adult. You got you to gotta go do this, right? Otherwise, they're saying you're not in the club. And, you know, I just read an article, actually. About, I read it this morning about a bull who they were going to circumcise. The bull, 2,000-pound bull, jumped over a six-foot wall and ran away. He went to Walmart. They found the bull at Walmart. That's how much even the animal kingdom does not want to go through this, right? And they're like, look, if, you know, Jesus is great, but you got to do this no matter which way you slice it. Yeah, see? All right. So it's in this corruption of grace, this hijacking of the gospel, this injection of extraneous extra rules to earn God's approval that Paul writes this letter. 
And all throughout these six chapters is the same theme. Religion minus grace. If you take grace away, you produce captivity. And so, you know, and here's what happens. So when we read this letter, and he comes right out of the gate swinging. Now, you know this because the other letters like Philippians or 1 Thessalonians or Ephesians, when he writes these letters, it's always the same. He starts off with, you know, grace and peace, which he does in this letter as well. It's kind of like a greeting, like, hey, how's it going? You know, my dearest Galatians or whatever, it's great to, you know, grace and peace to you from God our Father, blah, blah, blah. It's always the same. And usually there's another paragraph where he says, Hey, I thank God every time I think of you because you've blessed my heart and I, I, I just pray that your hearts are encouraged and strengthened and it's just so, he's like overflowing with good feelings or at least some sense of encouragement. Not here. He is hopping mad. And so he comes right out of the gate, no, no pleasantries, and the first real a part of the letter starts in verse six where he says, I am astonished which means shocked that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the what? Grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, that's the Judaizers, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says, I am astonished. That's really strong, by the way. You know, when you say to someone like, man, I'm really surprised at you. That's, that, that's something that will always throw people off kilter. So like, that's a good thing even when you say to your kids, like rather than just going, I'm really angry at you. It's like, well, you know, it's your problem. I mean, you got to control your temper. But if you say, hey, listen, you know, I'm really surprised at you. I'm, I'm really confused by your behavior. It's like, whoa. What, what, so in, even in, a, in like in an argument or in a confrontation, those are actually very powerful words to say. Because it, the other person is instantly like, well, wait a second, why? What, why, why? And then they begin to question themselves. So when he comes out of the gate, he's like hitting them with everything that he's got. Like, I cannot believe what I'm hearing, the reports from this church, that, this, that the way that you guys are corrupting and actually presenting another gospel, not that there is another gospel, but you're presenting something different from what you originally heard. And then he says, you are deserting him. That's a powerful word too because it's, it's like a military concept, like desertion. Like remember that Bo Bergdahl guy that deserted his post and it's like one of the worst things you can do. It's seen as like, you're seen as a traitor to your nation if you desert and leave and, and change causes. Like here you believe in this cause, now you don't believe in it anymore. You've walked away. You've deserted God. You've deserted the whole message. of the, This is a big deal. So he is using very strong, powerful language because that's how important the preservation of grace is to him. And that's how important the preservation of grace should be to us, which is why we guard the gate like hawks, with, with any kind of message that would come in here and try to blow us off course and get us to stop being so big on grace, stop being so enthusiastic about grace, and start to inject these little, well, you better do this, and you better act like this, and you better do this, or else you're not really in the club. Now, listen to what he says. He keeps on going. I mean, this is where he really gets I mean, He's like, he's very upset. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's pretty strong. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, when he says accursed, what does that mean? It means cursed. 
And in the, in the New International Version, it, it translates it eternally condemned. In other words, if someone comes and tells you a message about Jesus different from the one we originally told you, that person can rot in hell. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. If you want to know the full force of that, that is exactly what he's saying. Now, <clears throat> I should say this, and I, I, should, I should tell you this because by, by way of just like application, and I mean this with all due respect, I really do, but this is a verse that our Mormon friends and neighbors should take very seriously. And I say this to you because, and I have many Mormon friends, and my kids have Mormon friends, and, and, and by the way, to compliment them, many of them are much more serious about their faith than a lot of so-called Christians who just show up on like Christmas and Easter and, you know, when the weather's good or whatever, and, you know, and they don't have the sniffles or whatever. They just, you know, it's like they have this incredible amount of devotion to their faith. And so I want to compliment them on that. And I think many of them really are trying to, to seek and do exactly what's right. That being said, if we could kind of come together as brothers and sisters of humanity and kind of look at the truth here and what's being said, I think we should, this should give them some pause. Because the, 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 the bottom line is, when, when a, and some of you guys are confused, like, well, when a Mormon person starts talking, like, are they right or am I right? How do I know? Understand that if, a, if an LDS person comes and speaks to you, that they're presenting what's called another gospel. So even, even the Book of Mormon is called another testament of Jesus Christ. So you have the Old Testament, the New Testament, and another testament. Well, that's kind of interesting because Paul says if someone preaches you another one, okay, so it's another, it's, it's, and another means different. Like, no, you actually don't have it all right, Mr. Christian. You have to get this. This is really what's right, right? And then what even really is more perplexing to me is... Which says, look, if I or an angel from heaven should show up and preach to you something different. So even if an angel comes and tells you, look, this is different. That angel can just go to hell for all I care. Okay, so here's the challenge. What then is at the top of every major Mormon temple? This guy. The angel Moroni. And I, I, he's got his trumpet. He's, he's announcing a new gospel. I'm like, somebody got to talk to the PR department over there because like, that's, a, that's a bit of a challenge because he just said if an angel comes and tells you something different, you know, I'm just telling you, it's not right. And I don't mean this with any disrespect. I mean it for clarity's sake that if we're going to actually be honest, we got to be honest, okay? I'm not the one coming to your door and knocking. You're coming to my door and knocking. So, so you know, let me, let me equip the people that I'm supposed to equip with some little bit of knowledge here. Because I think that that's, that's valid. So, the same thing with these Judaizer guys. This is what they were doing. And Paul is saying, look, religion minus grace equals captivity. You are, you are, you are uh, enslaving people with rules. And so that's why he says in chapter 5, and we'll see this in a few weeks, it is for freedom. That's the title of our series. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he says, stand firm and do not let yourselves again be burdened by a yoke of slavery. And that's how important it is. 
Now, apparently Paul had been accused by some of these Judaizers of going kind of like easy on the Gentiles because they were, um, you know, they were like, oh, we don't want to have to do this circumcision stuff and we don't want to have to keep some of these Jewish rules. And Paul was like, you don't need to. And the Judaizers were like, ah, you're just trying to please them because you're trying to get more numbers. You know, you're watering down the, the, the core faith of, of the religion by doing that. So Paul shoots back again in verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So what he's saying is, he goes, I, just, I just told you guys you can go to hell. Am I now trying to please people? People pleasers don't tell other people, you know, if you teach us something different, may you be accursed eternally. He's making that point. So, you know, we're not talking about this. We're not like um, just beating around the bush here. We are, we are hitting hard at preserving what is an extremely important central understanding of our faith. And so he proceeds to tell them, look, this message did not come for me. I didn't invent the message of grace because you know why? Nobody could because it's not part of human thinking. You know, grace is something that always comes from outside, which is why people are amazed and they tear up and they get very emotional. Whenever you see an act of grace, whenever you see reconciliation between two people, whenever you see someone in the act of forgiving someone else who is truly repentant, it is a, it is a scene that moves you emotionally where you realize like there's this gravity in this moment and you realize there's something outside that's almost being acted upon these people. Like this doesn't, we don't see this every day. And so Paul says, look, for I would have you know, brothers, this is verse 11, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is when he was talking about when he used to hunt Christians as a Jew. He used to be like the main um, headhunter of Christians, basically. He would go and try to, he would terrorize them, and he actively tried to put down Christianity in a very violent way. And while he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him in a vision and knocked him off of his horse and blinded him and said, you're not doing this anymore. I am Jesus. You are persecuting me and now you're on my team. So get up and go wait for your next assignment. And so it was this radical tremendous. And see, that's the way it is with hard-headed people. Like I'm a hard-headed person. And when people just, you know, like gentleness doesn't always work with me because I don't hear it. You know what I mean? If you really want to get my attention sometimes, you have to bam, hit me. And I'm like, whoa, right? So because when you're a hard-headed person, you need to have hard-headed tact. So God deals differently. So, so with Paul, like no, nothing else was going to work with him. So Jesus had to literally knock him down off his horse and get in his face and say, you're done living this way. Kind of crazy. So he says, look, you guys know what happened. So in verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now what's fascinating about this to me is that he was saying, look, you know, you guys have heard of me. By the way, this has been years before. This is maybe 15 plus years before. So because you guys knew, you've heard legends of me. I try, I was the number one enemy of Christianity, the number one enemy. And you remember how I tried so hard to put it down. And by the way, and I was a rock star of Judaism. And he, once he, again, what is he saying? He goes, look, these people that think they're trying to follow, you know, get other people to follow Jewish rules, he goes, if you want to play that game, I'm better than all of you. If you want to play the who looks more holy game, I promise you I'll win. And he says this several places throughout the New Testament because, because of his stature as a young, 
hotshot Pharisee who had risen quickly through the ranks. He was very, very good in the eyes of the world. But it wasn't what God wanted. See? Because we all need to be saved by grace. And so he understands this. Now what's crazy about this is he admits, he says, look, I know I was a terrible person when it came to terrorizing Christians. Now I was reading last week in my devotional time, I was reading a little bit through John. And I, and I found uh, John 16, and I was thinking about this message. And look at, look at verse 2. It's crazy, because this is Jesus talking to his disciples right before he was going to go to the cross, and he was preparing his disciples for what would happen next, what they should prepare for. And look what it says in verse 2. It says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Well, who is he talking about? He's talking about Paul. And people like him. You better believe he was giving a foreshadow of Paul. There's going to be people who kill you, who throw you out of the synagogue, who discredit you, and they're going to think they're serving God. That was exactly what Paul was doing. And I find it amazing that the very person Jesus was warning his disciples about would then go on to be the very person who would be leading the charge to protect God's grace in the church. See, that should be a paradigm shift for those of us who grew up in what I would call a legalistic background, which I think is most of Christians, most of at least people. Because you know how many people, it's like when we do Life 360, which we're having today, by the way, and I always kind of get a chance to try to get to know people in the first class, and it's amazing to me how many people say they came from some church that was very, very legalistic, and they got the impression that all God wanted from them was just like to make sure and toe the line. And if you, if you didn't do what the church wanted you to do, that God would not love you, or that God was disappointed with you. And it's so rare that I hear a person say, I grew up in a church that just oozed grace, man. They were just so excited about forgiveness, and they would rejoice in the most rotten people that would show up and would repent of their sin and realize how wrong they were, and they would be blown away by the love of God, and they were so transformed by that that it changed everything in their life, and the whole church would rejoice when like rotten person after rotten person after rotten person would show up and find grace. Like I just so rarely hear that story, and it isn't any wonder that most people outside of these doors have no clue what we actually believe. They just think we're a bunch of moralists. And I believe in, in, in um, having good morals. I believe, I believe that, that obeying God is very important to live a life that honors Him. But it's not what gets you into heaven. And so, here's what happens. Paul is this guy that's gone on the rampage against Christians. And he tells him, he goes, look, I didn't make this up. In fact, I was, I was like the top opponent of Christianity. And I was very high up in Judaism. And then he says this in verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, the most important word in that entire verse is not grace in this instance. It is but. It is a big but right there. You need to circle that but. Go ahead. If you have a Bible, circle that. That, that is a big but. 
And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you. If you are going to really understand grace and you look at your life, you got to have a big butt. Yeah. Some of you are like, does he know what he's saying? I know exactly what I'm saying. And I'll tell you why. Because here he is, actively opposing the church of God, hunting down and imprisoning and terrorizing and at least giving the approval of the murder of one Christian, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7. He's standing there while Stephen is getting still, and he's like, yeah, bring it. That guy, just get rid of him, right? And so, but see, this is the thing. That isn't the end of the story. Because he says, he who set me apart by his grace. And so there's this, there's this big but. I was going this way, and it would have been, I would have been totally dead. I would have totally missed it. But if it were not for God calling me, then I got to tell you something. Our church needs to always be a church. I hope we always remain this ragtag bunch of radically forgiven people. I hope we never become these snooty, you know, um, hyper-religious, arrogant people who kind of like look around like, I'm so educated, you know, because I listen to Pastor Tim's sermons and he gives me all of this background or whatever, and I'm so smart in my theology, and I'm so, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and you forget where you came from. You forget your butt. You forget what happened before. You forget that you didn't save yourself, but God saved you, and you forget what you were saved from. And Paul never forgot what he was saved from. He never forgot it. And he writes about it all over the place. And he's trying to drive it. And the only way that you guys, we will stay a church that just is hungry to see, to see rotten people like us come to know Jesus. The only way that we will stay on course and not get bitter in our relationship with God or tired with our relationship with God or rather just, you know, watch an NFL game than come to church or whatever is if we remember that religion minus grace equals captivity. But with grace, it brings nothing but freedom and joy. So to help you understand this a little bit better, this whole concept, this whole concept of a big butt. I haven't drawn a butt, but I have made another drawing. So here's my other drawing. I want you to see this drawing. Here it is. Now, <laughs> that's you and me. That's the trajectory that the Bible says all of us are on. That's not a bad drawing. It, only took, I, I, it was one time. I didn't have to even do it twice. And I was happy with the first one. So this is us without grace. Now, if you don't come to terms, see, most people don't think this. So if you don't, if you don't see the trajectory of your life pre-Jesus as that, then you will never understand anything that we're talking about here. Because you're always like, well, I'm here, I'm here doing this Christianity thing so I can get some tips on how to be a better husband or a better wife. It's like, okay, you can go to Barnes & Noble and get a, like, Men Are From Mars book and that would be just fine. You know what I mean? Like that's not, I mean, yeah, that's, we'll, we'll talk about that, but that's not, that's not who we are, right? We start with this reality. It's all over scripture. And Paul would say, this is him. And so then, what happens is, you, we would all end up in hell were it not for the big butt, which is right there. There it is. You were headed for hell but 
Jesus intervened with his cross. He raised you to new life. He forgave you of your sin, and he changed the course of your life forever. And every single person in here needs to have some type of iteration of that story. So I don't know, you know, maybe you don't have a real exciting pre-Jesus story where you were like this rebellious person in and out of prison and, you know, like dealing drugs and, you know, you were like some high, you know, and you were in the mafia or whatever. You don't have some really fun, it doesn't matter because when you look at your life and you say, listen, I know what I'm capable of. And I know that the, the bitterness and the anger and the jealousy and the rage and the, the out of control heart that I had, and I know all of these things, and I know where they would have been. People say, well, I'm going to die and go to heaven. Well, why should we let you into heaven? You would ruin the whole place with your bitterness and anger and everything else. You think you're just all of a sudden going to be cured from that? You think if you don't want to obey God now, you're going to all of a sudden want to obey God when you go to heaven? How does that make sense? No, you need a radical transformation that has to start in here, and it can only happen through grace. So that's the but. That's a big but. I, and as the great theologian Sir Mixelot says, I like big buts. And I cannot lie. You're all waiting for me to say it. You're all waiting for me to say it. I, I, so I didn't say it last night because I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it, you know. And then everyone's like, why didn't you say it like big buts and I cannot lie? I'm like, oh, okay, I'll say it tomorrow. Um, so, so, but yeah. You got to have a big butt. Means you got to have something. You have to be able to point to, I was going this way. Look, you know what we just sang about this? Man, I'm going to preach long because I'm fired up. Okay, no, I won't go, I won't go that much longer, but a little bit. Um, but, but we just sang, we just sang the first song that most of you missed. Um, was, <laughs> I love you. I'm just saying. The first song, I was an orphan. I knew, I didn't know my way. You know, I was, oh man, like I almost start crying every time I hear that song, you know, because I was like, oh, that was so me. Like, like I am, I, and listen to Paul says it best. Paul says it best. In 1 Timothy 1, chapter 13, he says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Here's one of the smartest guys in the world when it came to religiosity. And he says, I was an ignorant fool. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Who? Christ Jesus. Do sinners save themselves? No. See, if you can save yourself and you can walk around in heaven going, yeah, I'm awesome. You're going to walk around spending all of eternity going, Jesus is awesome because I do not belong here. (laughs) I do not belong in this place, man. And you're going to spend all of eternity just being grateful that you showed up, that you are there. And you should spend all of your life here on earth grateful that you're even allowed to take another breath. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I, I am the worst. And see, that's an addendum. See, he says that. And I, really, I, I don't think he was being overly humble. I think he honestly believed that. I think he honestly believed that. And you don't have to be a, you know, ISIS terrorist to see how badly you need grace. Or even to come to the place where you go, man, I don't deserve this. And so you've got to come to that place. And, and, and I'm telling you guys, 
when you forget, if you don't think you were that, that in need of grace before, you, you, it just won't mean that much to you. We talked about this before, but I found no clear way to say it. You know, John Newton, who was a horrible guy, slave trader. He was also the guy that wrote the song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. That was him. But before he was a Christian, he was a terrible man. Human trafficking. Among the most helpless people for personal gain. And God got a hold of him and rescued him. And so he writes the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. <laughs> I don't think he was bluffing when he wrote those words. I don't think he was trying to be poetic. I think he saw what was really going on. And so he gets to the end of his life at 82 years old and he says this, my memory is nearly gone but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner. That Christ is a great Savior. See, the, the first part is, is the, the first part is the um, reality that he contends with. The second part is the hope that he's found. So your elevator speech says religion minus grace equals captivity. But I would add to your elevator speech too. Listen, religion minus grace equals captivity. And by the way, the reason I'm a Christian is because I know this. I know I'm a great sinner. And if you're not, good for you. Maybe you're a better person than I am. That's cool. You seem pretty awesome. But I know me. I'll stand there with Bono. Jesus is a great Savior. He's the greatest one. He's the only one that claimed to die for my sins anyway. Nobody else did, so... It's not like we have competing saviors here. We only have one. Everybody else says, do it right like I tell you to do it or you're done. You know, God's up there going, shut up and color. Right? You color outside the lines, you're gone. It's like that ain't our message, man. It's like never been our message. But they're trying to make it the message and Paul is like, no. All right, I've already talked too long, which is a bummer because I had, the whole, I had a bunch of other stuff I wanted to talk about too. So, <clears throat> lucky for you, there's another service. <laughs> so what, happen is, what happens is, uh, they ba he basically, I'll just paraphrase, he says, look, I didn't, I, God got a hold of me, and then I kind of went into hiding for a while because he had to prepare me for my ministry, and, and no one knew anything about me other than this. They knew the guy that used to persecute um, Christians is now the one proclaiming Christianity, and, it says, and they glorified God because of me. You say, well, why would God rescue you anyway? Well, he loves you. And he rescues, but he doesn't ultimately rescue you for you. I mean, he rescues you for you, but we have to remember that he rescues you. And part of rescuing you is so that you can give him glory. And, and what I love about that is, like, you know, the worse the sinner, <laughs> the more radical, the, the greater the glory that God gets. Because people go, God, you actually would save her? I mean, she's horrible. You'd actually save him? You forgave him? You forgave that? God's love stretches even that far? Yeah, it does. So I say that because some of you are like walking in here and you're like, I, I don't feel worthy of God's love. Well, I've got news for you. You're not. So get over yourself. Oh, I'm so bad. You are. You are so bad. But God is so good. 
And God's grace is so huge. He loves you even though. And that's the, that's the message, you guys. You know, you don't, you don't have to go around trying to police the world with morality. I mean, believe me. I think the decisions a lot of people make are terrible. But you can be a really nice religious person and live a wonderfully law-abiding life and go straight to hell. Because it ain't about that. It's about receiving the gift of Jesus who stood in your place and paid for all of your sins out of his great love and living your life as a response of gratitude. And see, we own that. <laughs> the only gratitude you can get from any other religion is like, oh, I'm really grateful that I learned a few wise things about you know, saving my money and having a family or whatever else. But that gratitude only goes so far because at the end of the day, it's all about you. Here, it's, it's never about you. It's about the love of Jesus. I'm out of time. Would you bow your heads with me? So, um, if you're here today and you, you're like, wow, I didn't really get that until now. I'd like to, um, I would like to receive that grace. Then right where you are, I just want to invite you to say to God, God, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for trading places with me. I was an enemy of yours. I have been an enemy of yours. Headed for hell. And today, that wonderful word, but, you're turning things around. You've intervened and rescued me, God. I see that now. And so I receive your gift of grace. I believe my sins are forgiven. I believe that there's hope for me because of you. Thank you for washing away all my sins. Even things that people hold against me now, you don't. Even things people blame me for and shake their heads when they look at me, you don't. Because you've paid for my sin completely and you've taken it away from me. It's no longer my identity. It's no longer a part of my my makeup. You brought me to life. God, we're in the redemption business here because you're in the redemption business. We're in the grace business because you're in the grace business. Some of us have forgotten that, even been Christians for a long time. God, may we reconnect with what we've been saved from. Never forget. Ever forget the depths to which you went to rescue us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.